<laughs> okay, serious question. Do you think Daniel Plainview would be a better president? <laughs> he would potentially be a better leader. Yeah. Everyone seems to he, like that guy. He gives he gives better speeches. He actually really does. I would have been here sooner, but my well was coming in in Coyote Hills, and I had to see to it. Believe me. Believe me. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. That well is currently producing at millions and millions of barrels. <laughs> we should fuck this episode. Let's just do an entire just- Daniel Plainview reads Donald Trump. <laughs> You could do anything to this. Grab them by the pussy. I'm going. I'm going to build a well. I'm going to have the Mexicans pay for it. <laughs> the big show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to talking during the movie. The show where two jackoffs, that, that's us. We're the jackoffs. We, we, we talk about new movies and, and movie news. And I'm Mike. And uh, I'm, I'm James. It's me. I'm yeah. James. Yeah, have some apple cider here. And uh, this is our first post-election uh, podcast. Episode number 62. Mike and James, The Dark World. And uh, that title is fitting in more than one way. We really, really wasted our our talking politics during the movie episode, didn't we? <laughs> we... We threw it away. I mean, really, we we did it at the perfect time. It's true, right before the election. And I still think literally it's it's like I can't I can't stress this enough. It is your duty as a democratic citizen to watch the movie thirteenth that we reviewed last episode, and that's all I'm gonna say on it because said it all. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're um, listening to this you're probably friends with me on Facebook, so you've seen my, my posts. Yeah. Um yeah, we, we talked about it a lot last episode, but suffice it to say, the, the degree to which the rights of citizens are routinely stripped in this country, depending on what color you are, where you're living, is, well, it never ceases to amaze me. Every new piece of information I learn just shocks and horrifies me, and I don't understand how it's possible. Um but it is so the 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 silver lining there is that you can't know uh you you can't win a fight if you don't know that you have an enemy so there you go um there's that uh we had a election it was shittier than anyone could have possibly expected (laughs) it's over it's over now and uh now there's only four years left so and the movies and, the movies go on. Movies will likely keep getting made, so <laughs> Yeah. Um and So in, we'll still be in, here to talk about that segment of I wanna call it pop culture. Society. There we go. That yeah, segment of society. I mean, and maybe look, one day when we have our political pundit show, then you know, we'll we'll go more in depth. Look, I I had an important realization when we were when when I was watching the film. For, for this episode, which, by the way, is uh, Doctor Strange. 
we're going to be reviewing Doctor Strange Marvel's latest MCU movie, and we'll probably talk about it in the, you know, the canon of that universe. But, you know, I, I just, I never, I don't think I ever realized how important movies could be. Even, like, even even the mainstream fair, in fact, especially the mainstream fair, just, just something that's kind of reaching out to people um, and, you know, kind of helping them evaluate themselves through the prism of popular fiction. It's... It, I don't know. It took on a new significance to me that I had never really felt in it before. So, um, from from that alone, I, I don't think it's entirely irrelevant to be talking about a an MCU movie when uh, when what just happened happened. <laughs> yeah, I can't I, I can't disagree with that. So, and oh, you I know, mean, I can also felt, also it, say it something felt, else. What? Oh, I was saying it felt more unifying than I was expecting it to. You know, I just everyone in the theater kind of melted together into one, you know, consciousness. It was I, I didn't take I didn't even take any drugs before this. It was just I don't know. I had a weird I feel like I, I projected into my astral. Plane. <laughs> <sighs> I, I, I really rule, I rule like one other thing, uh, and this is sort of sort of relevant to, to movie. It's, I mean, it's directly relevant to movies and TV, so uh, I can get away with it. And that's that this election was such a, an insane upset that South Park had to rewrite its episode. They did. <laughs> and the and 12th actually, hour, 11th hour. You've actually just made me realize that uh, we're missing, have, we've we're missed missing the South, South Park. Park episode. Yeah. Maybe the most, maybe the South Park episode I most wanted to see ever. I know. I <laughs> but yeah, they, of course, they, like everyone else, was so sure that Hillary Clinton would win that they wrote the episode. They basically did a Dewey defeats Trump. Defeats Trump. Dewey defeats Truman. Dewey wanted to defeat Trump. <laughs> they did a Dewey defeats Truman headline of an episode. and But thankfully, they had the time to edit it before it went live. <laughs> Yeah, I think they got around it with the uh, Obama-McCain episode eight years ago by um, – I think they minimized how much uh, time was spent specifically focused on one candidate or the other. Yeah, I think, uh, and it seems like – I think those scenes were virtually tacked on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which actually explains why the episode felt a little – even at the time, it just felt a, a little, like, disconnected. I wasn't really sure what it was. I'm pretty sure that's uh, the contributing factor, so – um, look, the, the bright, the bright side is the bright part side is that, uh, <laughs> we will have four years of damn interesting South Park to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, and in, and in two years, two years, assuming we're all still here, assuming we're going to get still here. Incredibles 2. Boom. I, I brought uh, us out of it. <laughs> wow, that was pretty incredible. Ha! <laughs> you. Uh, uh, so, it, in a great, awesome move that I was really excited to read, uh, not only is um, Incredibles 2 being moved up a year to 2018, originally from 2019, that means that whatever Pixar movie that was scheduled in 2019, obviously... I mean, 2018 is obviously 
gonna be swapping spots. And this one happens to be Toy Story 4. <laughs> uh, and the only disappointing part of that news is that Toy Story 4 isn't being cancelled entirely. And I, we're gonna talk about both of these things. I'm focusing on Incredibles 2 first. I am super stoked for this. This, this is one of those movies that well, it's directed. The original was directed by, written, directed by Brad Bird, who I've gone on record, one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, and uh, Incredibles two was going to happen, whether or not he was involved. So he sort of said, "Okay, so if this is going to happen. I'm going to do it." And yeah, yeah. so he's a fully on board with it. And I was bummed as hell to find out that I was going to have to wait till 2019 to do it. And a year up, I'll take it. Uh, and then Toy Story four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have a devil's advocate question for you regarding Incredibles 2. We talked yeah, yeah. about it a lot and it's it's you know generally considered you know like Incredibles 2 would be one of those Pixar sequels that demanded to be made. Like The Incredibles kind of called for a sequel. But I I'm not sure if the only reason people say that is because it technically ended on a bit of a cliffhanger it, except so it kind of ended on that same scene that Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man Two, ended on, where like there's a huge confrontation in the middle of the city with a with a baddie, and uh, they, you know, they're all they're going in for the charge, and that 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 it ends right there, and that's about it. Difference being that um, in the Incredibles, the bulk of the dramatic uh, the the dramatic arc had been completely satisfied; it, it had resolved. The uh, family was back together, and the villain was really just kind of cursory. Um, and and when well, the villain, you know, was killed. <laughs> no, no, no. The uh, the secondary, the the one that just popped up in that last scene. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it didn't really like Rhino I, it, and Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 I get the I get the comparison. Right. But, but the thing with, with Spider-Man Two is that there was so much more to that character that still needed to be explored. I mean, he had just he was still kind of processing a certain event that happened, and he had just kind of reconciled his superhero identity uh, once again. And so a sequel for that was definitely called for. But for The Incredibles, um, what would a sequel entail, really? Well, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people will read the ending of of Incredibles, of the original Incredibles, as to say, okay, this is going to be our new villain. Whereas when I watched it, I never had that thought. You know, I just had the thought of, oh, okay, it's the end of this movie is that they're going to keep doing what they're doing. You know, <laughs> like I never, I never, I, I never amused the idea that th- this threat at the end of the movie was going to be in any way legitimate enough to to take them down but we all know how you know early polling works so uh, you know maybe i'm wrong but uh i i, I think no, i know I, I think you're right um but i feel like that is the reason why most people always say that the incredibles demands a sequel uh which i think is kind of a a, a weak reason well, that's the thing. I don't think the the Incredibles demands a sequel. You know, I'm I'm not in that camp for that uh, very reason. Okay, um, okay. gotcha. That so, being said, am I? It's like it's like did. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like did uh, a New Hope d- demand a sequel? You know, no. Yes. But okay, fine. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, well. I think I think when I said a new hope, I would I meant to say Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I, could, I think, did. I, think I would definitely did say a new hope like, did. A Return of I, the Jedi, I don't think so. 
I was like, a new hope, Darth Vader escapes. There's still an empire. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're you're entirely right. A new hope demanded a sequel. Uh, a Return of the Jedi did not. But am I really going to be upset about the opportunity to explore new ideas and character moments in this universe, especially in the Incredibles case? The creative, the really the creative hive mind, the auteur is returning. <coughs> no. No, I'm not going to be upset about that. So if this was Incredibles 2, uh, or if this is, or if later down the line we get Incredibles 3, directed by Joe Schmo and written by by Joe Schmuck, I'm probably going to be less enthused. In this case, I think it's fine. Fair point. Um, yeah, I, I I think you've settled the question. Uh, we we should mo- first and foremost be celebrating the creative talents behind the sequel, the fact that we get Brad Bird back at Pixar <laughs> finally after. What about ten years? Yeah, and after it'll his be eleven years. Brief after. foray into Disney with <laughs> with Tomorrowland, and well, and also he did a, a Mission Impossible film, which was pretty great. So. Yeah, problem um, was considered the best one I think until the most recent. Yeah, um, yeah, until uh, Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm, so. Until Rogue Nation. Um, so yeah, there's that to look forward to. Did we have any other news? I oh guess. yeah, we did. And well, and I also still want to talk about uh, Toy Story Four, which oh, I'm so sorry. Because yes. why, why does it exist? I said um, this to you in yes, the pre-show, but this is this is screaming a lot to me, like Scrub season nine, when the first eight seasons was a completed story. <laughs> you yeah, know, is, the thing is, at least with the Incredibles, even though they, they you know they did a good job completing the arc. They still have a lot of family dynamics that could play out. They have uh, colorful characters, you know. They have a they have a, a, a lot to work with that you know hasn't necessarily been resolved in the course of that one movie. Um, th- potentially, uh, Toy Story has spent three spent three movies carefully, uh, you know, creating and exploring this principle of growing up and leaving your toys behind and. You know, you know, maturing, and uh, you know, eventually made it. Uh, you know, it gave it this beautiful, uh, you know, semi-tragic, semi-uplifting, and hopeful ending. And it really couldn't have, uh, you know, they couldn't have done it any better. They timed it just right so that you know, it, the people who grew up with the original Toy Story would be exposed to this third one just as they were growing up and entering in adulthood. It was um, perfect. It was perfect, and uh, not only that, it has a near perfect um, rate, uh, near perfect scores on Rotten Tomatoes. The first two have one hundred percent, and the third one has ninety nine, which pissed a lot of people off. But regardless, it's probably the most overall the uh, most impressive um, track record of reviews for any film trilogy that I've ever seen. Um, So all signs point to this being. You know that you do don't fuck with this trilogy. It is a it is it is uh, vacuum sealed. It is done at the very most, and they have done this. You make holiday specials uh, <laughs> or on ABC Family every Halloween. Yeah, like do Christmas. some non-canon cash grab bullshit on the side. Like I don't care. Like no one really cared that <laughs> they made I mean, they made an Ewok ask. adventure in the Star Wars series. No one cared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else is there but one-off adventures, really? So what are they going to do with Toy Story 4? What what could they explore in this world that hasn't already been uh, you know, depicted in some way in the previous three films? How are they going to make this not a rehash? And how are they going to make it significant enough to warrant it being made at all? 
and released in theaters. And that's the thing. Like, I I feel like I, people are gonna cry hypocrisy when if you say if you give something like Incredibles 2 the benefit of the doubt, but not the Toy Story 4. But the difference is that Incredibles 2 has given me no reason to doubt it, whereas Toy Story 4 has given me every reason to doubt it, merely in its existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I am less hopeful about that one. I, I just don't see justification for it beyond money. Yeah, I mean, Which, what, yeah. I mean, I mean, they have look, their cash grab franchise with, with yeah, cars, you know? Yeah, and I've come to terms with that, and I'm just like, okay, good, leave it there. That's where it belongs. That's your shameless sellout trilogy. Again, I mean, there's only and two if, And if that allows you to... Make, they're making it, a third one. If that allows you to to enlist great great direction from auteurs like Brad Bird, to, who can still tell original stories that, that have, you know, a cultural impact great you know i'll take it it's like a noxious branch you know just just look at the look at the better ones that's fine yeah yeah um yeah i mean i I, i've talked about this before so it's not like i have you know i'd I'd like to avoid ranting about it again like an angry old like an angry old person an ornery man until i know more about what's actually going to be in the film so you know it they could blow my mind with it it might be the greatest series of four ever produced you know (laughs) yeah maybe i mean it is gonna have of course they couldn't do it without tom hanks and tim allen so those are both happening and it's so funny that this it's so funny to watch the trajectory of their careers following uh, the following the original Toy Story. What's What's Tim Allen doing now? He's just on what TV is he again. Right? Is Is he on TV? I didn't even know that. Like, yeah, yeah, he's basically in a something that's trying to be Home Improvement again. Yeah, but I mean, if um, he got good yeah. at the contract for Toy Story three and got us a fancy cut of that one point one billion global box office returns, then he's probably doing just fine. Really, the Toy Story franchise is the only movie series he'll ever need to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, it's true, um, and of course, we all know what's going on with Tom Hanks. Yeah, which, I mean, he's in, like, an Oscar contender every year. Of course, he'll never win one because he's won two in a row, and that's the death sentence on Oscars. But uh, he's, his career is doing just fine. Yes, yes, it is. Um, we do have uh, other news, though, uh, not the least of which is that uh, Michael Keaton has been cast as Birdman in the new Spider-Man movie. Wait. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Uh, uh, the... The, what's, no, the fucking vulture. That's it. The fucking <laughs> yeah. vulture. I mean, the the jokes write themselves sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. He's. Uh, it's like Vulture uh, even looks like his character's costume in Birdman. <laughs> like if I, someone showed I, that and be like, it, "Oh, this is this is Michael Keaton in his in his Vulture costume," I'm like, "Oh wow." It's funny because you know when you announced when you told me that. I, uh, I honestly wasn't even trying to be uh, snarky or anything. I, the first thing that popped into my mind was just, oh, yeah, he's like the perfect choice. And then I'm like, why do I think that? Like, oh. <laughs> Slowly dawning on me. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, good, good, 
it's it's a good it, i still think it's a perfect choice though it's a great call yeah i mean there's been uh, hey, look i'm i'm really happy it's we've said a lot of things about birdman i'm really happy that Birdman has successfully relaunched the career of Michael Keaton. You know, last year he starred, of course, in the Oscar, the Best Picture winning Spotlight, and and this year he's not. He's getting in blockbusters, as evidenced by Spider-Man: Homecoming, and he's still doing the you know the biopic Oscar route with The Founder, which is slated for a late Oscar season release, which you know does not guarantee quality we've we all know you know last year of course we had concussion the year before that we had um the monuments men i think maybe that was a year before the year before but still there there are plenty of hollow oscar contenders that come out in december but uh I'm, i'm glad to see that michael keaton is back in the forefront of all landscapes of cinema here's the thing i yeah i almost don't even care what he's in i just always he's one of the weirdest performers working oh man, I just watched in Hollywood again for the yeah and isn't he oh. isn't he incredible right he's, he's just he's amazing just and no one could do, no one could do that role like him and he's underrated and he's underrated because he's just so fucking eccentric <laughs> and you know I, I feel like it took if it's gonna take, if it took Birdman to get him to be palatable to a mainstream audience, so be it. I will see him in pretty much anything, and the, the you know, the, the the fact that he's having the surgeons, I'll take it. I don't care what, I don't care what he's doing. I don't care if it's lackluster. He can make almost any role interesting. He made his role in Spotlight more interesting than it it would have been if anyone else had been playing him. I, I mean, I can't think of someone who could have pulled off what he did so quietly which which of course worked to his detriment because you know he didn't really get the the awards praise for it but everyone else would have well i mean look you can look at within that same movie you know you see the mark ruffalo version of that performance (laughs) which was great but very much it was showy yeah very very showy very much of that capital a type it's it's because michael keaton's comfortable with having you know so much go unspoken and this whole you know his his roles always seem to be coming out of somewhere rather than you know trying to you know specifically put on a face he's he just seems like he has this like whole inner inner being going on that you can never really get uh you can never really get a full grasp of so it just it makes him a compelling performer no matter what he's doing so um yeah, you know, maybe he'll bring a lot of dimension to the Spider-Man villain. Of well, I know. I feel like I feel like uh, anyone who is li- listening to the start of the segment are like, "Oh yeah, Spider-Man. Let's hear about Spider-Man." It's like, but honestly, with casting news, what do you what do you want me to say about it? It's like Vulture's up to stuff, and Spider-Man's gonna have to stop him. I mean, I just it's it is it's just interesting that they. I mean, look, I'm a I. I'm pretty big. I'm pretty big Spider-Man fan, and he's one of the few superheroes where I actually know, actually know his rogues gallery, and, um, and, and that's great. I, I, and anything you could bring to that conversation is is awesome because I'm well, not well read on Spider-Man at all. <laughs> I feel like I only get excited about them because I know them. But I mean, I can't admit. I, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I can't deny that uh, a lot of them are kind of classically shitty Marvel villains, and the, <laughs> the, the Vulture is kind of one of those campy ones that was just, you know, in a one-off, you know, in a, in a one-off 
comic. I think it was like the second Spider-Man comic in the uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And it was just the campy villain of the week who's just been recurring since then. But I don't know if anything particularly interesting that makes him stand out as worthy of, you know, it, it, he's not like Doc Ock or anything. He doesn't seem, he didn't really have as much of a personality. He, so I, I don't know. It's kind of a weird choice, but um, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people uh, like to point out how, you know, DC, particularly Batman has so much better. Well, their, their villains are so much better. And, when you're talking about your big names, of course, you're right. You have your Two-Face, you have your Joker, you have your Bane, all of which bring something unique to the table and challenge Batman in different ways, both physically and mentally as you know, a complex human being. And mm-hmm. and that's great. But when you look at Batman's, like, <laughs> his lesser-known villains... Like, you talked about the Marvel villains being, you know, generically shitty. These villains are uniquely shitty. They're the kind of shitty that only you could... That you can only think of... (laughs) Only the minds at DC could come up with. I mean, you have... You have people, you have a literally a pair of villains named Tweedledee and Tweedledum who are not directly from Alice in Wonderland, but are people who, who are inspired by Alice in Wonderland. Similarly, you have Zervis Tect, who is the Mad Hatter in the Batman series. And again, he's just a guy who I'm inspired by Alice in Wonderland to be a villain. So in basically, his. Ba- basically a douchey goth teenager. <laughs> exactly. No, it's like it's. They're, Batman has, as I said, uniquely shitty villains when you can I mean, start going down the ladder from from the Joker and all them. <laughs> I have one that I will uh, immediately... I, I will go see this Batman movie opening day if they feature this villain, uh, which would be Calendar Man. Oh, Calendar Man is so cool. Calendar Man is cool and never talked about. Well, yeah, I mean, even people who really talk about even I, even in conversations of the long Halloween, I never hear Calendar Man yeah, reference, and it's like he's the guy. Like, yeah, yeah, he was like, yeah, he was one of the seminal. I, I fucking loved him in uh, the long Halloween. That was the first time I ever saw him. And I'm like, James, do you know about this villain, Calendar Man? Yeah, like, Julian oh, Gregory Julian Day. Gregory Day, so good, named after the Julian and Gregory calendars. Yeah, and then the word day. <laughs> yeah, just the word day. Um, <laughs> Which yeah. is so funny because that's like a perfectly plausible name. <laughs> so actually, the Batman Rogues Gallery has some like fucking gems in there if you look hard enough. But yeah, it's it does get un, uh, unduly romanticized. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I I am never gonna stick up for for Marvel villains. They are, as you said, generically shitty. But there's some special kind of swill brewing in the <laughs> the DC minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you look hard enough, <laughs> DC is pretty shitty. If you don't, if you if you don't stop and look around a bit, you could miss it. <laughs> um, and then, speaking of Michael Michael Keaton and uh, it, making another stab at awards season, that will is probably predicated on the idea that the Academy Awards are actually going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which seems to be up in the air. Yeah, um, the Academy of uh, America. Oh my God, is it the American Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science? I think the so. The American Academy. The, oh no, it's just the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has uh, not yet picked 
selected a host for Oscars 2017. Yeah, this is actually the latest in into the film year, into the year, I should say, because <laughs> they're the same, uh, that the Academy has not selected a host ever in which, 89 which, years of doing this. Which in and of itself is um, kind of a... a splash of cold water to the face uh reminding me that uh we only have like a month and a half left in in the year but it doesn't really feel like we're in the we're in oscar season yet no no i mean the whole thing look the films have been slow and the awards ceremony themselves have been going slow look i mean everyone has been especially after last year not just with the with the oscar so white controversy but the bigger controversy I mean, in the minds of the Academy, is how do we get people to watch our damn awards show? <laughs> because yeah. they've been just the ratings have been plummeting year by year. It's the same story. It's a downward trend of people who are actually watching this damn ceremony. So there's been thus there's been a big shakeup with okay, who's who's going to be running the show? And right now they have uh, two. They, they have two people in film directing it who uh, have never done live television before. So there you have one thing, and then they're trying to pitch to the Academy what they've said is a short list of, of uh, hosts, but so far nothing has come to fruition. So everything points to the tumultuous broadcast, but, I mean, as much as I like to joke... The award ceremony is going to happen. It's come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think uh, it is, but yeah, th- I think it's probably more indicative, like you said, that there's some extra considerations going on behind the scenes, more so than they're probably used to giving this kind of thing, um, for understandable reasons. It's it's a bit of a racially tense time in the country right now. Hmm. <laughs> No and, politics, Mike. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Because let's let, let's pretend that movies aren't political. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I do wonder if the Academy is going to latch onto Moonlight uh, extra hard as a result of this. And I, mean, I should probably reserve that commentary for when we actually see Moonlight. But oh, man, and you're going to get to see it so much earlier than me. I hate you. I. I, I it's not at the Barclay, of course, and it's not even it's not anywhere on the Pickford schedule right now. And I asked someone around it; they're like, "Yeah, you know, a couple, some people have been asking us about that one, but we don't know." I'm like, oh, yeah. "Go on." Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually probably trying to go see it this weekend before before it's out of uh, theaters here. I'm just always paranoid of that. Um, but yeah, and I mean, it is the most acclaimed film of the year so far. So it'll be, um, it'll be interesting to see if that kind of becomes uh, uh, elevated in the Oscar races because of last year's controversy. And again, it's you know, it's uh, it's kind of sad that it takes a controversy to, and that you know, certain films can't just slide by on their own merits, um, you know, without being about. You know that, that you can't have a film starring, you know, almost you know, primarily people of color, and have it not be about slavery. 
in order to get the academy to pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's pretty much that's what you got to do. Yeah. Um, man, by the way, have you seen any trailers for? Uh, is it? I think it's Jordan Peele's new movie. Oh, the horror film. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Looks awesome. <laughs> I, I know. What's the? Let's let's um, like it on the name. Uh, the name is. Isn't it like Get Out? Yeah, it's Get Out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a. If, for those of you who haven't seen the trailer for this movie, this is like a caricature. I mean, but maybe not. I, I will. It's so being presented as a horror movie. It is a caricature. I'm not going to back down from that. It's a caricature of, of mm, the fears people of color experience uh, toward white people. <laughs> And what a great, what a great uh, concept that no one's ever really made a horror movie around. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> uh, and that's not coming out until like February, so whatever. So you, you heard it here first. It's get a out is uh, get out is a favorite for best original screenplay. <laughs> I will say it's a it's a strange movie idea yeah yeah it's um, it's strange but it also kind of sounds like a horror film that needed to happen mike come on it's strange oh 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 my it's God. so strange i might need to see a doctor i'm i'm so tired i didn't catch that you, you i mean that was the softest softball of all time um <laughs> Doctor Strange is the movie we're doing. We are, as I said. I had tried to. It was my tonic for the last day. You know, this one I actually i I like the inclusion of of Doctor Strange in the MCU, and I'm going to start with that as generally because ever since the Avengers revealed that purple guy at the end where everyone was like, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> oh, well, like, um, in like the three comic nerds who were in the audience when everyone else was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah him. Okay, yeah, uh, cool. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, so ever since the introduction Thanos? of Thanos, I should say, yep. and you get into this whole interdimensionality, and then the question, of course, became like, so are you guys going to do Doctor Strange? And... Of course, any sentiment at the time was like, no, that'd be way too fucking weird, and now they're doing Doctor Strange. So uh, I, I think it's cool. I like that if they're going to go there, they might as well go there, you know? Well, they had to kind of do it. I, it's kind of coming at the perfect time in the... Fran- in the uh, I, yeah, I call it one franchise. It's mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's an enormous behemoth of a franchise with little franchises within the franchise. But <laughs> um, it, it, This seemed like the right time to basically throw all <laughs> notions of time and space out the window for Marvel. Um, it's like a taco inside of a taco in a Taco Bell within a mall that's inside a KFC that's inside your dream <laughs> uh, um, yeah and uh, so, so I guess this is the point at which all other all other points converge 
is yeah, just no. the is this the thing that's going to topple all sensibility and comprehension of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or is it uh, going to imbue it with new life? Um, I guess is the fundamental question of Doctor Strange, uh, which is uh, definitely one of the weirder Marvel movies that has uh, come out recently. Thank God. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is. I, I, I'm trying to think of if another Marvel movie. I mean, besides, I mean, really, not even, not even any, any um, Iron Man movies have really tackled this theme, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, but uh, if any other Marvel movie has gone through the character arc of, well, the main, the main conflict of this story, can our main character get over himself? <laughs> I mean, whereas like as you yeah. said, Iron Man. I mean, the no, character is clearly the full of himself, but the they never wanted him to be otherwise. Right, exactly. There's never a. I mean, is there? I mean, actually, yeah. Is there ever an arc for Tony in Iron Man? Well, there is an arc. It's not. It's not referring to his own narcissism, though. I, I think. I think the arc is pretty well. I think we sort of underplayed how how much the arc works over the multiple movies that Iron Man, in, in which Iron Man is involved, that brings him from this person who's privatizing world peace to someone who really wants the government involved in yeah. what, in what the operation, in the operations of superheroes. I, I, th- mean, I think they do that pretty well over a series of many movies, I which mean, you, is probably if, the weaker way to do it. But if you, if you can point to me a time before civil war where he, expressed any uh doubt about them operating as an independent as independent agents um then i will be uh, then you know color me impressed it seemed like that seemed like a character development brought about exclusively in civil war um i I don't think so it was really i think it was look when he when he was of course after the avengers he was all ptsd'd out and that led him into the Avengers 2, which everyone forgets about because everyone should forget about. Basically create, I mean, really bring his idea of privatizing world peace to its pinnacle and create mm-hmm. an AI that is literally going to enforce the law at every possible scenario. Right. And, and watch that blow up in his face and then have to say, okay, I really need to think about how I'm approaching this. It, it also, I mean, it also does help that he was a. I mean, the origin of his character is as a weapons dealer for the military. So, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, going from, you know, the epitome of, yeah, like, like you said, I guess, going from the epitome of privatized uh, mayhem and warfare to, uh, you know, someone who actually can register the consequences of their actions and the, the cost of human life. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that is a pretty, uh, pro, you know, pretty profound character arc that's, generally communicated subtly and slowly um but in here we're introduced to someone who is incredibly narcissistic and and the the goal is for him to not be that by the end of the movie yeah pretty much um the the climactic line of the film is basically it's not about you right We'll definitely talk about how that played out. What is... Do you want to take this one, Mike? What is Doctor Strange oh, about? God. Okay. So, Doctor Strange is about a doctor named Strange who, uh, after uh, getting into a 
particularly gnarly and stylized auto accident and fucking up his hands something fierce uh goes uh, to uh travels to tibet uh to train with the ancient one and uh learn um essentially how to regain full use of his hands again little does he know that she also teaches him uh about how to access his astral self and become the superhero that he was destined to be and defeat these uh this ragtag band of uh uh vagabonds who steal pages from this horribly protected library inside of this building and they have to keep these three other buildings around the world from falling down or else this other giant thing from another universe is going to come and eat all of them is this this is going off the rails but no i think you got it (laughs) all right cool so that's totally great i mean alternatively you could say that like he received a letter saying he got into hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry and let you know became a wizard yeah yeah i mean yeah this is if you if you want to watch if you want to watch the arc of harry potter but don't have time for eight movies <laughs> here you go yeah merry christmas um so uh i i feel like the the marketing of this film kind of uh centered around portraying it as marvel's inception yeah, and I mean that as like if that was a movie title, Marvel's Inception. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, interestingly, though, it does. You know, I, I say it's the weirdest Marvel movie to come out in a while, but it does actually fundamentally adhere pretty, uh, pretty safely to Marvel's general, uh, you know, its general tropes for films like this, um, and and kind of uh, one of my. I guess one of my my critiques with it is that it uh, it, it kind of almost uh, seems like a patchwork of different tropes that I've seen elsewhere in recent prominent superhero films. Like there's not even necessarily Marvel. Like there's definitely a lot of elements taken from Batman Begins. Um, I know that he's not that doesn't follow quite the same character arc as as Tony Stark from Iron Man, but there's undoubtedly. Uh, a lot taken from that character um and i think you could argue that there's not necessarily enough to make uh uh to make Stephen strange stand on his own two feet um there is definitely there are definitely <laughs> elements of inset yeah excuse me of inception and particularly um, in the visuals yes particularly in the visuals um and 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 you know i i guess the matrix as well you know it's it's just um it, it played it safe like all Marvel movies do, and it uh, distinguished itself only really by uh, what it was mixing and matching and how it's, uh, you know, how it presented itself. I would say the one distinguishing factor uh, above all that I would like to applaud is the uh, direction of the action sequences, which is generally my least. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've described in the past, I have maybe like the worst. Uh, attention span for action sequences in the film uh particularly a marvel film just because they tend to be just so, so autopilot they're so autopilot they're so rapidly cut they're so fast they have the same uh sound production every single time there's no i never really noticed it until someone uh pointed it out but when 
the volume is constantly turned up in an action scene and there's no um fluctuation there, there, there are no silent moments there are no breaks in the noise it just all becomes numb and you don't really feel any of the impact anymore um so everything kind of loses its weight it, nothing really and, and nothing really feels like it actually has weight it's just kind of all flying around and doesn't really create a comprehensive hole for me um and with Doctor Strange, I would be kind of actually interested in measuring the uh, average shot length during action sequences. I feel like they would be probably among the highest in uh, the MCU during its action sequences, which is really awesome. I love action yeah. sequences that can um, Holy crap. that can kind of keep longer takes. And uh, it, it, with with this, they um they they find ways to film it. Uh, it, uh, ugh, fuck. I, I uh, want to briefly apologize just because my this is a time where my microphone is getting louder. It's been happening this entire Skype call where my microphone just randomly will get really loud. And I think the more I talk, the more it sort of quiets down because I think when I'm not talking, it's sort of like, wait, are you there? Let me listen. But. Mm-hmm. Because of that, you, you the listeners, also got some, some cute meows from, from a cat on recording uh, that came in pretty clearly because of that in, increased attention to detail. My cat, of whom, is now uh, cuddling my microphone. All right, we're good. <laughs> James. He, he's kidding. James actually just liked my analysis so much that he just started meowing. <laughs> I've become Halle Berry. Oh, God. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> uh, I've been I've been acknowledging that film more and more throughout the years, just because I think it's important to know how it's not to be done. Is that like your Phantom Menace? It's it's probably yeah. I mean it's yeah. The the moment when you first realized that life can get really dark. <laughs> like oh, this is the dark world. Mm-hmm. This is the darkest timeline. Yeah, I mean, listen, my my take on Doctor Strange pretty is over, overall positive. I, I liked this being introduced to this new character uh, in Stephen Strange, and uh, I, as you said, the action sequences were were really well really well shot, and I liked what you brought up about sound, and it would be interesting to uh, to compare the shot length. I think I think that would be an interesting project to take on if only I had the time. Okay, don't knock over my microphone. <laughs> Bad Merlin. <laughs> speaking of speaking of wizards. Um <laughs> Yeah, but um I would probably I'm probably like ranking this in my mind alongside like the ant-man level and you know for me i was never the damn it he did it he did it did he knock it over he did knock it over what uh, an asshole you know for like my biggest i wasn't the biggest fan of ant-man you know this we in, I, I in, one, in our lost episode we reviewed it and re and hashed out the differences we had our intakes on the movie basically my take boils down to that the comedy of the film was a a big part. They, they put a, a lot of their eggs in the comedy of the film, and for me, it didn't work because it derived from one of two sources, which was a Paul Rudd is less serious than everybody else, and b Michael Pena is Mexican. And, oh yeah, and that to me was a little disappointing and shallow. And in here, in Doctor Strange, I don't think 
it, there was bits of comedy that I think worked a lot well because they didn't they didn't bank on comedy as hard and I thought it was derived from a lot of different sources and but mostly it was the it was the character of Stephen Strange I think I think it was pretty cool and I think I as I said I liked the idea that we have now a a, a char- well a story arc basically in a movie that's centering around a character getting over himself it's it's simple but it's really effective to watch and beyond beyond the uh character i think the climax uh, with him confronting this thanos looking demon guy who i'm sure has a name that i don't know <laughs> um yeah it's yeah. I, I thought that it was really clever and it gave us not just not just a side of dr strange of him needing to change but when he needed to bring more of himself to the equation so it wasn't just wasn't just the movie thumbing its well wagging its finger i should say at stephen strange and saying you shouldn't do that i yeah i well it made me realize how marvel has gotten I, it, look their, their films are getting a bit uh, cookie cutter but there's there are reasons people aren't getting sick of them and i i honestly think it comes down to the bits of humanity that they're able to inject into it um and with dr strange they somehow managed to do that with um and and drive a lot of comedy from stoic very quiet figures um and make them i I think a lot more a lot more fun to watch than they would be in other hands and is this the first superhero film we are reviewing since suicide squad I think so. <laughs> because it's just such a stark contrast in how it presents its characters. Like, even, like, Mads Mikkelsen in uh, in this film, in Doctor Strange, he's the, that plays the main villain whose name I am looking at now, but I can't pronounce. Um, and <laughs> he somehow manages to be both stoic and have a you know he they, they, they still give him a proper motivation and a like a, a, a good enough sense of humor that he can actually come come across as a, a an actual human being as opposed to <laughs> suicide squad where everyone just you know dresses in hot topic clothes and acts like a comic book character um, without really properly having, uh, you know, a, a drive or, um, you know, any kind of distinguishing characteristics other than what yeah. their comic book biography says about them. Well, uh, and uh, on the, I actually enjoyed for the most part Mads Mikkelsen as the villain in, in this movie. I think he's probably one of the better villains in the the MCU. And it, the only thing that's stopping me from really uh, holding him up higher is that this villain story is pretty much like your your Anakin Skywalker. You know, it's they even I think they even use the the term like dark side where there's this mystical 
power that people are using and some of it is dark and some of it is light and your master tells you not to use the dark side even though they may be using it themselves to a certain extent and then the apprentice decides that he wants to know more about the dark side and decides screw you I'm going to use it to its full extent etc like I've seen this before that being said I've never seen it in a Marvel movie and I've seen a lot worse in a Marvel movie (laughs) You just reminded me what the other film connection I was going to make is, and that's uh, Wong looks a lot like a character who they've uh, marketed pretty heavily for Rogue One. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's definitely, I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's a bit of Disney bleeding over into different departments there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and like, uh, to, uh, you know, Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One, who you find out, you know, uh, her you know more interesting elements of darkness she's got in there and um you know they, they get some of the best comedy out of uh, wong played by benedict wong um and uh, you know I, again playing pretty well to this idea of like the stone-faced archetypes but with a modernized twist to it um you know, like the bit that you see in the trailer with the bit where uh, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character Mordo uh, hands Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, yeah, the, the Wi-Fi password. Yeah, it's a Wi-Fi password. And, um, I mean, it, it, it's like a one-off moment. It doesn't really seem that important, but it's like... I realize that's kind of what gives a lot of the Marvel characters life is that they, they take these archetypes, these comic books, you know, just broad characters, and... They fill they they populate the film with these little moments that humanizes them a bit, um, and they don't they don't overdo it, and that tends to be just enough to get people engaged with them in a way that something like Suicide Squad just leaves you completely out in the cold with. It's just I mean in, in that case it's literally just gratuitous cartoon violence and um, costumes essentially. Yeah, I mean. So it's just I'm, that's maybe the most interesting thing about Doctor Strange is just how, um, the, other than the action scenes, which to me are, are worth the price of a three D ticket alone. Um, <laughs> I saw it in two D, so I can't uh, comment on that. <laughs> it's good. It's good to do in, in IMAX three D. Um, but it, really, it's it's I, I just I'm always interested in studying the Marvel formula because it is a formula they are clearly getting it down to a science um, and I, I you know despite some of the trippier visuals that Doctor Strange has um, and literally flipping the flipping the scenery on uh, on you know uh, on some of the established uh, tropes of Marvel films I it's it, it plays by the book pretty it, it, it keeps it close to the chest Um but it also just it, it's interesting to compare it to what DC is doing and figure out why Marvel is being so much more why why Marvel has been so much more successful and why people uh, are willing to acquaint themselves with you know new comic book characters that they haven't necessarily given two shits about before. Um, yeah, I mean, this if I'm going to be a little more critical of the movie, the side side that I didn't like too much. This movie actually is pretty feels pretty taut. It's it sort of goes at a mile a minute. It has it has good. I think it has uh, pretty decent pacing. I mean, it's I'm looking up right now. 115 minutes. What does that mm-hmm. make it like? Eh, almost almost two hours, but it really doesn't feel like it. So, 
And but a lot of times that works to to its detriment, and it it in two different things in two different ways. In one way, it really glosses over the details of this <laughs> of this thing. Unlike a movie, of course, like Christopher Nolan's uh, um, not Inception, that will you know spend minutes uh, talking to Luke Skywalker, played by Ellen Page, uh, about what this dream thing is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just and it just it's just so poorly paced, which you have to get used to it with a uh, Christopher Nolan film. But, and this one, I don't think that worked too much. It wasn't too distracting or bad, but it's like, I still can't tell you what the fucking mirror dimension is. I don't know. I don't even know how that works or why it works in the way it works. People tell me it works one way and I accept it. And I, I didn't let it distract me too much. What I did let distract me, though, is particularly the character of, of Chutel Geofor. His arc to eventually make him a villain in the next movie is just a blink of an eye the fact i just i oh, didn't yeah. buy that God. he felt so betrayed by I mean, the ancient about- one dipping into the dark side of the force if you will the-, the dark dimension you're talking about the post post credits well yeah i mean but even at the end of the movie where he was like fuck this you know i mean yeah even even that i was just like really you're you're just out right you're you're just it, out yeah, like that I didn't, I didn't buy that at all and that's the thing. Maybe if they were able to devote more time to it, then I could have got on board. But it just—it felt like really obligatory, and it only—it does—it feels more obligatory because I saw the post post where he's like, where he's like, oh, okay, he's gonna be the villain in the newer in newer movies. It would have been great if you maybe dropped some more hints about that if yeah. throughout the movie. Um. Actually, Doctor Strange, it's kind of funny because Doctor Strange had almost the opposite problem that most of Christopher Nolan's films have, where <laughs> uh, it it seemed to over, uh, uh, it seemed to be uh, over expository on parts of the film that needed literally no explanation because we understand movie language and we know when two people like each other, um, <laughs> but but Kiss me. didn't really. <laughs> didn't really give you know two shits when it was explaining you know all the the mystical arts and the astral projection and that's fine i didn't want it to be but it it, it is it's kind of funny that all the overt clunky expositional dialogue comes when he's just being a doctor doing doctor things (laughs) that we can pretty much accept and that we have to know rachel mcadam's relationship with him to a t because we can't just infer that they've you know dated before before. yeah right um i call it the doctor strange rule yeah yeah fucking god yeah yeah didn't they still got to work on that um i'm just a project to you that's what you could you could come in and save me uh, uh, uh. Uh. and actually when he's in the when he's in the car talk to the guy he's like you want me to take that surgery and ruin my perfect record it's like okay i get it (laughs) It is a little unfortunate because Rachel McAdams is kind of a nothing character in, in Doctor Strange. That, that's another one, too. Like, I talked about Chiwetel Ejiofor, but, I mean, Rachel McAdams didn't get that that close of a treatment either. Well, that's the thing. It's it, Because, like, Tilda Swinton is an infinitely more memorable character in this. And I think it's honest to God because she her character abides by the lesson of the film, which is it's not about fucking Doctor Strange. 
<laughs> right. And she and she she has you know she has her own story. She's got you know it, 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 things that are only hinted at, but you have you know you, you can you can be invested in her character apart from uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and with Rachel McAdams, her whole character is just defined by her relationship with him. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of wasted. Like I feel like Rachel McAdams is routinely wasted in. Uh, and I mean, and I mean this, and that the filmmakers underutilize her, not that she's like drunk or something. Um, <laughs> she just smashed she's on set the fun. entire time. <laughs> yeah. No, I. But she, uh, I feel like she's just routinely underutilized in a lot of the films she's she's in, um, or like you know, True Detective or something like that, where she's clearly, you know, she's clearly a very talented actress, and she has the capability to you know pull off a really compelling character, but they just always. I don't know. They, they kind of treat her like a like, you know, a, a secondary supporting uh, player, as opposed to giving her a bit, a bit more of her own uh, scenery to chew on. You know. God, I remember almost nothing about True Detective season two. Good, you should. It's not worth remembering. I remember. Uh, I remember that Vince Vaughn has just the most depressed blowjob face I've ever seen. Oh God. I also remember that Vince Vaughn should never, ever, ever do a non-comedic role ever again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, not that not that uh, anyone was really given a lot to work with in True Detective Season 2, but... No, but I think he was particularly bad casting. Um, yeah, it was... It became a distraction where in a show... In a season that didn't need any more distractions. Like, at least Colin Farrell was, like, a... Was just right for the role they cast him in. It's true, but then they then they fuck him up with lines like, I'm gonna cut your mom's head off and fuck your dad's corpse with it, or, oh, or whatever yeah. the fuck he yeah, said. Man. Oh, fun times. Yeah. It's like they're trying really hard. Yep. Um, oh, what else? Uh, oh, also, uh, I, I will say this too. For Doctor Strange, uh, it's also one of the least obnoxious in its tenuous connections to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in that um, they pretty much keep references to the Avengers to a minimum. Uh, you, I believe you, you get one shot of the building in the skyline yeah, yeah, at one you point. see one establishing shot of uh, Avengers, uh, the Avengers Tower and uh, only vague hints that he's going to help them until the you know the mid-credits sequence, which you know seems like a perfectly reasonable point to bring in some of the Avengers. And, and this one, I think, particularly hints towards Thor Ragnarok. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It it's like the antithesis of something like uh, like in the Amazing Spider-Man two when they try to establish the entire Sinister Six in the last ten minutes of the fucking movie. Might <laughs> <laughs> just have him walk walk past. Yeah, <laughs> I've had this cough. By literally just having him walk past the prototypes for all the supervillains, like come the fuck on, like kind of lazy. I mean, look, honestly though, is that any better than establishing the entire DCU in a fucking email? Jesus H Christ, I forgot about that one. Like who sent this email? Who gave them those code names and logos and logos <laughs> on each attachment? Oh my god, I don't know. Yeah, it's like email uh, from Zack Snyder. <laughs> This is what we're doing the next three movies. He's <laughs> basically just writing email. He is doing what they're supposed to do behind the scenes and writing emails to us about the characters we're going to see next. <laughs> Lazy shit. Anyway, I so yeah, that's become kind of a 
but that's become a super pet peeve of mine. In, and all this does illustrate your point that it, it really isn't that invasive in in Doctor Strange. No, not at all. It's ties to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know. I, I I mean I think they've kind of they've kind of refined this formula to the point of elegance, where it can stand on its own pretty comfortably. It's not uh t- totally severed from the mcu but it's got its own tone it's got its own style of shooting uh it, it like it, like in its action sequences i did it did lose me in the bit where it's basically just the, you know a cgi vomit for about five minutes straight but you know they they generally keep it on a more uh they, they generally keep it looking more tactile throughout most of the film and i will say this uh there was a moment when uh when Tillis Wynn's character comes back in the picture towards the uh, late second ha- second act of the film um and uh you know they're they're doing their uh you know zero gravity basically the zero gravity hallway fight from inception but with an entire city yeah <laughs> They're just like you know, floating in a floating in a void, and there's no up or down, and nothing's got any weight to it, and, and it's very disorienting. You don't know which way is what, and you're you're trying to look past yourself and fight some you know some some people who threaten the stability of our world. And I just realized it was the perfect metaphor for how I felt the last two days. <laughs> And it just spoke to me more than any action sequence in a Marvel film ever had before. Um, and I'm not even joking. I'm not even being facetious. It's uh, it was it was stunning. <sighs> so uh, anyway, I think I think that might be. I think that might be about it. I might be forgetting something. But the, like the thing is, it's not really. I mean. I think I got too excited with the Rotten Tomato score on this because I, I think I expected it to stand out in a way that it didn't necessarily. Um, but it's still totally solid. It's I mean, it's what you would come to expect from Marvel. It's just, you know, it's you're going to you're going to be introduced to a new character and actually probably has some of the coolest powers in the entire on the entire team as of right now. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and I also a little bit want to talk about that just real quick because oh, yeah, Marvel... Yeah, yeah has had such a difficult time throughout the years, and a lot of superhero movies do, for that matter, just really balancing the powers that they use. Mm-hmm. Like When you think back to Civil War and uh, the and Vision's role, it's so muted in the movie because Vision could literally He's fuck God. everybody. He's God! He's God. And then it's like when everyone's up to their up to their shenanigans in that big fight with Ant Man, it's like he could literally stop this all in like a blink of an eye. Yeah, like I I love Captain America, and I never thought I'd say that because he did not start out being one of my favorite heroes, but he's really become um, possibly my favorite Avenger. And I'm right um, there with you. Uh, yeah, and uh, he's great, but. And, and super, I mean, like, you know, he's definitely a superhero. He's incredibly strong. Uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, tall, fast. He's, you know, basically a, a mega human. But at the same time, you're really going to have him lead a group that has an Asgardian thunder god, um, <laughs> a man with a high-tech death weapon for a body, and 
a man who can turn into an enormous green monster that can jump miles into the air. <laughs> and now, God, and also a... Time-traveling tra- wizard. A trans-dimensional time-traveling wizard. <laughs> like, it's just... There's gotta be... You know, it, there, there's gotta be some... Some kind of co-relation between all the different the different players in the game here, <laughs> so they get, they can have fun with that going forward. Um, but uh, actually, also, it is kind of it's kind of interesting because we we blame franchises like Marvel for I mean for being franchises basically for leaning on to, you know overly on pre. Uh, you know, uh, pre-established characters and names, and and basically depending on the audience to already have a sense of brand before going into the film, not not having to earn their views with a new, with a, you know something entirely new, but leeching off of past success to promote your current movie. Um, I think that's probably a tired, slurry argument of what a franchising is. But it is kind of interesting because I feel like Marvel's gotten us to, like, they've gotten us to give a shit about characters and heroes that no one really knew or cared about before. (laughs) Which is actually why I don't dislike it as a piece of franchise filmmaking because, like, really? You really think that they are leeching off the incredible success in the past of Ant-Man? Yeah, (laughs) Or, or or the Guardians of the Galaxy, like that's oh I, exactly. I really, I almost in my mind, I really lament the existence of Guardians of the Galaxy in the in the MCU because it's just it's so great as its own little thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a lot of what worked about it that it didn't feel like a a superhero movie. It felt like a, a sci fi movie, like yeah, really again. old school throwback, and not just because of its soundtrack uh, yeah. featuring Hooked on a Feeling, which was suddenly everyone's favorite song since birth. Uh, <laughs> even though it's supposed to be kind of cheesy and shitty, um, like even in the context of the film, <laughs> um, it's a good song. Um, but it is, yeah. I think I'm just saving face with that. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, yeah, there you go. Another example of basically keeping it – like I think they know that we, we hate it when films don't give you something complete in their own packaging. Like they've kind of refined the art of, of you know, being, being a whole but also part of something larger. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is surprisingly hard for other films to catch on to. So, um, yeah, you got to give them credit for that. I'm, I mean, look, call me a, call me a sellout, but I, I do find myself routinely impressed with the machine that, you know, the Mar- that Marvel Studios has created for itself. There, you're gonna it have is... to turn in your film credit card. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I guess this is why. I guess, well, whatever. Marvel's paying me to say bad things about DC anyway, so... Yeah, yeah, you'll still have a job. I'll still have a job. Um, <laughs> but, but no, it's it's like... You know, the, the level of consistency that they've been able to maintain uh, and ways they've been able to distinguish themselves within the industry and while also having, like, an insanely regular output of films is... I mean, look... It, say what you want about how original each one is but it's it's impressive on that level alone to say the least um 
it just it seems like an impossible balancing act that's got to give at some point and uh so far they've been sticking the landing every time um not necessarily that saying that all the films are great but they all seem to there's there's there hasn't been that bomb that's really threatened the mcu in any kind of meaningful way no i mean we've i mean look we named our episode after it. the worst film in the mcu is undoubtedly uh, thor the dark world and it's not even that bad no so, I, I mean, just, if that's your worst film in a franchise, you're doing okay. Well, especially a franchise that has this many installments. I mean, how many are we at right now? Oh, God, this has to be like a dozen? Uh, if not more, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually, I'm curious about that. I'm going to look that up. Uh, films in the MCU. This is not a top list. This is a large paragraph. <laughs> Don't you know that I'm a millennial? <laughs> Wikipedia. Come on, give me give me something quick. Give me give me a headline. Give me something snappy or a top ten list. <laughs> give me a gallery. Okay, all right, here we go. Here we go. All right, so we have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I'm way off, by the way. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Okay, so I'm not way off. <coughs> There's fourteen so far, with three more coming next year and three the year after that. Okay. And to at least in 2019. So <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's uh, it it it's a juggling act with no sign of slowing down. Yeah. <laughs> so none at know, all. And, and good on him. And Cap- Captain America: Civil War was the last was the last one before this, and it's probably my second to Guardians of the Galaxy in terms of MCU movies and I still think that I remember saying that when I uh, I remember saying that when it when it came out but I, I still think that so yeah yeah um, so yeah that's that's about it uh, you know if, if obviously I don't think that franchise filmmaking should be as prominent as it is right now but uh, regardless, regardless, uh, what Marvel does with it uh, is is a uh, is reason enough for praise, and uh, you know, color me impressed. Um, and Doctor Strange is, you know, it, it, it it's your standard, uh, you know, Marvel fare, uh, mm-hmm. you know, origin story with uh, a few cool twists and. Uh, like I said, really, really cool action sequences that, that for me, that's what kind of pushes it above the grain of a typical Marvel film and makes it worth seeing uh, in a nice, a particularly nice theater. Um, it's, it's, it's not Thor The Dark World, but it's not Guardians of the Galaxy either. It's not the best film I've ever seen, but it's also not the worst film I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, good. So it's not those two. <laughs> How about anything else? You got you got something else for me. Just just anything. <laughs> if I were to describe this movie in one word, it would be stinky garbage. <laughs> uh, it's trash and it's ugly trash. I made a pun. No, that's not a pun at all. No. And I was the, that was, I knew it wasn't but just just to be clear, I knew it wasn't a pun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was the yeah. Okay. You're good. Um, man, 
uh, it's pretty late, so we're gonna we're gonna call it curtains on this. Don't really know what we're doing in the future. New oh, movies think, coming out on the horizon. I, I, oh. I think I think we just want to do this to like a prove to everyone that we're not in despondency after the election, and that we're still gonna make shows. But yeah, also, we're getting getting back into the swing of things. That's for sure. But, but also, yeah, also a nice bit of. Uh, escapism i'm not, I'm not gonna lie it helped me uh it, it it helped me kind of break out of a a pretty uh awful box i was in for for a good chunk of a uh, good chunk of time before i saw it so you know it's uh it's good it's it was i needed this and i'm happy to be back recording and uh we're gonna we're gonna you know keep at it for uh, sure as often as we can yeah, and hopefully with the hopefully I've been posting like on Mondays, which is weird. Hopefully I'll get back to a, a more regular like Friday post schedule. So, and we're recording on Wednesday, so all the signs point to my ability to do that. We'll see if it if it pans out. So, uh, new films on the horizon. We have Arrival coming out this weekend, um, which we're both pretty excited for. It seems like still need to see Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, you might hear us talk about American Honey. And if we do talk about Hacksaw Ridge, I think I want to make Mike finally watch 99 Homes, which is a uh, underrated gem from last year. Almost made my top 10, but didn't quite. So uh, lots of good stuff to talk about, even though it's not quite award season yet. Uh, we're getting there, and there's still lots of conversations to be had. So uh, it was Absolutely. a great show this week. It's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening.